Happy Easter, everyone. I want to welcome also, we have people upstairs in our overflow room. We are glad that you stayed around and you didn't leave. Thanks for hanging out with us this morning. Well, it is Resurrection Sunday. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Amen. If you are new to the City Church or you're new this morning, you know, I'm going to talk about Jesus for a little while, and we're going to talk about some of the facts of the resurrection, and then what it would mean in our lives, and then we're going to see one of Jesus' religious contemporaries, how he was a little confused about Jesus, and then we're going to sing a song at the end of the service today. Now, when we talk about Jesus, um, you know, Jesus is uh, the center point of our faith. Obviously, Jesus Christ, we are Christians, followers of Jesus. And if you aren't a follower of Jesus, you know, we have an invitation for you this morning. Uh, the, re- the reason is because we think God has an invitation, and that invitation is to follow Jesus. But this moment in history that we celebrate, the resurrection of Jesus, is so important to our faith. We're going to read some verses here in a second uh, from the Apostle Paul that he is showing us without the resurrection, we are hopeless. In other words, our moral, uh, our moral teaching in the scripture would be the same as any other religious moral teaching if it wasn't for the resurrection. And when we see the resurrection, we realize how important Jesus is to our lives, to history, that all of history has changed because of when Jesus came. Now, we are actually in the middle of a series called Come to Jesus. And really this phrase has become a euphemism, a sort of a stand-in for the phrase of, you, know, you need a reality check. You need a come to Jesus moment. And like I said, uh, week one, you know, we're getting ready for the NHL playoffs and all of our superstars, even though we trounced the Habs last night, amen, <clears throat> still the regular season. They need to show up in the playoffs. They're getting paid tons of money. There's no excuses. And they need a come to Jesus moment in the playoffs and step up. And this is sort of this reality check. This phrase has come to have meaning in sports. We hear it on the news. Hey, they need to come to Jesus moment. And the reason we say this phrase is because there is something really true about coming to Jesus, the real person of Jesus, that he would change our lives, that he would change our destiny, that he would change our today. This phrase has become defined in the Urban Dictionary, and it means this, one who discovers the truth, the essential meaning of something, a moment of realization, an aha moment, a critical moment, a turning point, a reassessment of priorities. And we know that people that have a near-death experience or they, have, they recover from sickness, they have a whole new perspective on life. Their lives are changed forever that we could say that they had a come to Jesus moment. And just using that phrase, uh, euphemistically, I, I had a come to Jesus moment one time when I was in junior high, um, grade seven or grade eight, I can't remember exactly, 12 or 13 years old. And near our junior high, there was a convenience store that we would all go to at lunchtime to get some candy, whatever change my parents had given me for that week, not spend it on lunch, let's go buy candy at lunch. Really good choice. And one of the things that was happening at this store is this store was getting shoplifted like crazy. Now, I wasn't the ringleader, but I had some friends that were kind of the ringleader of the shoplifting ring at this junior high And, you know, in this moment, I started to listen to them and they started to tell me all of their methodology about shoplifting. 
So one of the days I got brave enough and I actually stole something at the store. I don't know what the statute of limitations is to be prosecuted for this, but I feel like I've passed it. Petty theft, I don't know exactly. So I stole a couple of things and I got away with it. And then I became brazen and, you know, started using uh, all of these different methods to steal things. And now I know the shop owner for sure knew that he was getting taken by all of me and my friends. And so he set up a high perch in his store where he could stand over at lunchtime and watch all of us in his store. In fact, he would only let a few people in the store at a time so he could watch us all. So one of these days, I had stolen something, there was something in my pocket, and he was standing on his perch, and he started to yell. Now, he saw somebody else steal something. He ran to the door, he locked the door, he called the police. The police station was actually right around the corner from the store. The police were there really quick. My heart was pounding the whole time. I had contraband certs in my pocket. But I had a come to Jesus moment and I never stole again after that day. <laughs> but again, that phrase is a stand-in for that something that's really true, that in my heart I was somewhere doing something that was showing up in my life, but then I had a change of heart. And the reason that we think about having a change of heart is that all of us truly can have a change of heart when we come to Jesus. The real Jesus, the one that died and rose again. When we think about the word of God, that the word of God tells us that the word of God deep, goes deep into our heart, divides our spirit and our soul, and it, and it makes us consider the thoughts and intents of the heart. What am I thinking about? What is truly going on on the inside of me? And the invitation that I'm going to be giving to you today to come to Jesus is that, it's, it's, it's a heart call, that God is actually after our hearts, not, not just the exterior of us, but the real you, the one that's looking at me through your eyes, the one that considers and feels and decides, the real you, the real us. God is desiring our hearts and he's asking us to come to him. Hebrews chapter 12, verse two says this, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Faith, trust in him. Faith is a relational word and God is wanting each and every one of, each and every one of us to have a relationship with him. Whether we've never been to church before, we come to church all of the time. This call for us to come to Jesus on a daily basis is still true. So the Apostle Paul gave us some comments in the book of uh, 1 Corinthians about the factual nature of the resurrection. And as I mentioned at the beginning, how he said without the resurrection, we are hopeless. And as Paul is writing this, this is about 20 years after the resurrection. So it's very close to the time that Jesus was resurrecting and he was where Jesus was resurrected. And he says this, 1 Corinthians 15, verse 12, now, if Jesus is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there's no resurrection of the dead, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain. And your faith is in vain, verse 20. But in fact, Christ Jesus has been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who had fallen asleep. Now, why is Jesus saying that this is a, sorry, why is Paul saying this is a fact? 
is because, again, some of the contemporaries that saw Jesus after his resurrection were still alive. This is only 20 years later. Let's read about it here, previous in the chapter, starting in verse 1. It says this, Now I would remind you, brothers, of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received, in which you stand, and that by which you are being saved, if you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you the first importance, that which I received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures. He was buried, he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. This is the gospel story. And then it says this, and he appeared to Cephas, then the 12, and then he appeared to more than 500 brothers at one time, most of which are still alive, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, to all of the apostles, last of all, as to one untimely board, he also appeared to me. So what is Paul saying? He's like, if you're not sure about the resurrection, Jesus appeared to a bunch of people, go fact check me, is basically what he's saying. Some of the people, some of the 500, uh, some of them have died, but a bunch of them are still around. And not only is Jesus talking about the factual nature of the gospel, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, but there's actually meaning behind it for us, the real us, that we would have a come to Jesus moment in our lives. This invitation is always going out, all of the time. And we've prayed for you before you got here today. And this is the invitation that God is speaking to our hearts. He's always softening our hearts because he always wants us to come to him. And when we think about this invitation to come to Jesus, absolutely nothing has to change for you to come to Jesus. But when you come to Jesus, everything changes. That we are transferring the lordship of our lives from just us or culture, whoever is directing our lives, and we're putting Jesus on the throne of our lives. This is what we say with Jesus, our Lord and our Savior. But you don't have to fix a bunch of things today. You don't have to go and change a bunch of things. We know that God will change us by process as we yield to him. But you could just come to Jesus today. This is the invitation. We'll read about it here in Matthew 11, verse 28. He says this, come to me all who labor and are heavy laden and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me for I am gentle and lowly in heart. And you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Here's the invitation. Jesus says, come to me. And again, this invitation, comparatively with all other world religions, is very unique. No other religious leader makes this claim. They say, follow the teaching, follow this. You might achieve nirvana. You might do enough good things. But here the invitation from Jesus is personal. That we would actually know God for ourselves. See, there's, when you go back to the Old Testament and we see everything pointing to a Messiah coming. Some of the prophecies in the Old Testament were saying that everybody would know God for themselves. That God would remove a heart of stone from us and he would replace it with a soft heart. A soft heart yielded to him that we would truly come to Jesus. And obviously Jesus, with his religious contemporaries, everything that he was saying was always being compared and contrasted with the followers of that time, looking at the religious leaders and the Pharisees and seeing how they were teaching and how they were acting. And then Jesus working miracles and preaching and, and, and preaching with authority. 
And they were seeing these two different things happening at the same time. And when we see this invitation, it is an invitation. It's not a coercion. It's not something somebody can force you to do this. And it is, though, a return to Eden. If we go back to the original origin story of the scripture, we see God walking with Adam and Eve. In other words, having a relationship with them on a daily basis. And this was and is the invitation to us today. Let's look at these things. Jesus says, come to me. The Pharisees, the religious leaders said, do this. And all religion does this in some shape, form, or fashion. It's like, here's the instructions. Here's the things that you need to do. And then maybe you will find yourself in God's good graces if you do all of these things. And this is what the religious leaders purported at this time. Here is the law of Moses. You must complete all of these things. But the point of the law of Moses is that we couldn't actually complete the law of Moses. We needed God's grace. As opposed to do... Do this, do this, do this. Jesus says, come. That we would truly come to him and we would have this realization about who God is and how much he loves us and cares about us and is interested in our lives. The biggest thing to the smallest thing, he says, come to me. And partly comparing and contrasting what the Pharisees were saying, do, and Jesus saying, come. Here Jesus is commenting on what the Pharisees would do in Matthew 23, verse two. He says, the scribes and Pharisees sit at Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do, for they preach, but do not practice. They tie heavy burdens, hard to bear and lay on them on people's shoulders. But they themselves are not willing to move them with their finger. They do all of their deeds to be seen by others, for they make their phylacteries broad, And their fringe is long. Now, what does that mean? This is referring to the clothes that they would wear. They would have religious garb that they would wear that would have like sort of a big draping bottom. And then they walk in the city and they wanted all of this attention because they were the religious leaders. And these religious leaders, again, would oppose all of these actions on other people. And I don't know if you've ever felt like this in a religious context, but this is what it can feel like, that you don't measure up. Has anyone ever felt like that in a church context? Man, I grew up in church. There was mean people at church. Does anybody know what I mean? Just like mean, nasty Sunday school teachers that were always telling us we never measured up because we didn't. And we don't. But salvation can't be found in my actions. Salvation can only be found in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter four, verse 12 says this, and there is no salvation in anyone else for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which you must be saved. And what is that name? Jesus. In other words, it's not our name. We can't save ourselves. We can't do enough good things to find ourselves in God's good graces. He gives us His grace in the invitation is to come to him. He's full of grace. He's full of mercy. He's made a way. The next thing Jesus says in these verses is, take my yoke upon you and you will find rest for your soul, that we will find peace on the inside of us. Now we know that there's 
disruption and disease and difficulties in the world that we live in. And there's things going on in the economy and there's wars happening around the world. But in the midst of all of those things that we can still find rest for our souls, for the inward part of us, peace. And this first thing that we can have is peace with God. In other words, putting away our works and our actions and discovering peace with God through Jesus. Romans chapter five, verse one says this. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ, not in us, but we have peace with God through Jesus. Through him, we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of the glory of God. This grace in which we stand. And what does that mean? That we have a relationship with God by grace through faith. In other words, we trust, we put our trust in God and he gives us this gift. That's what grace is. That we actually can't pay for it ourselves. And I, you know, I've given this illustration before. You know, when you give somebody a gift like a Christmas or a birthday, after you give them the gift, you don't say, and now you owe me $29.99. Like it's a gift. And this, what, this is what God does with us. He offers us a gift of a relationship with himself. And how does it come? We're justified through Jesus. We can't achieve it on our own. This is peace with God. But then God actually wants us to experience peace in our hearts. Philippians chapter four, verse six says this. Do not be anxious about anything. We could be anxious about all of the things I mentioned earlier. The state of culture, the state of the nation, the state of the economy, state of the world, all of these things cause us to be anxious. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. This place that we're invited to in Christ, Jesus says, Come to me. We will experience peace with God, rest for our souls. This is the invitation. This is the good news. This is the gospel. This is why there's billions of people around the globe today celebrating the resurrection of Jesus because these are all the things that he gives to us. And then finally, we see this learn from me that we would take his yoke of teaching. Now, we don't really use this word yoke, and when we hear yoke, we think of eggs. This is not what's being discussed here um, in these verses. Yoke is a, a big wooden thing that attaches two animals together for plowing purposes. In other words, they have to go in the same direction. And we are yoked to something in our lives. We are attached to something. There's some sort of uh, thing happening in culture, we can be yoked to that. But what Jesus is telling us is that we need to be yoked, attached to, going in the same direction of his teaching. Now, why would we follow the teachings of Jesus? Why would the teachings of Jesus be superior to any other teachings out there? And the big answer to that question is the resurrection. This is why we place the teachings of Jesus at such a high place in our lives. Because listen, everybody could say, hey, they're going to kill me and I'll be back in three days. But that's a tough prediction to pull off. And in fact, there was other people, uh, other Messiah movements. People claimed to be the Messiah in and around the time of Jesus. And then they died. And then the movement was over. 
But there was something different about the movement of Jesus, and it was the resurrection. And in fact, if you follow after some historical thoughts about some of the disciples, how they were uh, whipped and beaten, and none of them recanted the resurrection. And they gathered, and the reason that we still talk about Jesus today is because of the resurrection. So we want to yoke ourselves to the teachings of Jesus. Why? Because he is the giver of life, not religion, the creator of life. Let's read about it here in, in John 10, verse 9. It says, he says this, Jesus is speaking. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. I came that they might have life and have it abundantly. So why did Jesus come? This is one of my favorite phrases to say. Jesus didn't come so we would have abundant religion. Jesus came so we would have abundant life that he would lead us into life as it is designed to be lived. And how are we going to have that life? That we have a real come to Jesus moment. Like really, truly. That we, we would yield ourselves to him. That we would accept the invitation. That we would reject the invitation and, and the thoughts of the religious. And then we would come to the gift that God gives, this gift of eternal life, that we would say yes to the invitation of Jesus. One of Jesus' religious contemporaries, Nicodemus, he came to Jesus. We're going to read about it here in a second. But it is the conversation that leads us to this most famous of verses here in John 3.16, and it sounds like this. And if you, even if you've never been to church before, you've probably heard these words. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have eternal life. What, what is the motivating conversation? How do we get there in this thought so we would know why God sent Jesus, and then what he did when he sent Jesus. And it was this conversation that he had with this religious leader named Nicodemus. Let's read about this conversation. John 3, verse 3. Sorry, verse 1. Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. In other words, he was a religious leader, but he wasn't just like any old religious leader. He was part of the ruling council. And what again, was their struggle with Jesus, that he was breaking all of their religious rules. He was healing people on the Sabbath day. He was calling God Father. All of these things that he was doing was upsetting the religious leaders. But there was something different about Jesus, his miracles and the things he said and the things he taught. And so Nicodemus was confused by all of this. Verse two, he came to Jesus at night. In other words, no one else would see. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God for no one could perform the signs you are doing if God were not with him. Jesus replied, very truly, I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. Or this phrase means born from above or born by the spirit. So Nicodemus misunderstands this and we see it here in verse how 
can someone be born when they are old? Nicodemus said, surely they cannot enter a second time into their mother's womb. Jesus wasn't speaking literally to him. He's wanting him to understand something about birth. It's this whole other experience being born again. Verse five, Jesus answered, very truly, I tell you, no one can enter the kingdom of God unless they are born of water. This is talking about your physical birth and the spirit. Something that God does in us when we come to Jesus. Verse six, flesh gives birth to flesh, but the spirit gives birth to spirit. You should not be surprised at my saying, you must be born again. The wind blows wherever it pleases. You hear its sound, but you cannot tell where it comes from, where it is going. So it is with everyone born of the Spirit. And this is what happens to us when we come to Jesus. The Holy Spirit comes into our lives, God himself. When we come to Jesus, when we put aside all of our works, put away all our religiosity. We put away all our pretend perfect morality because we don't have anything. And then we just truly come to Jesus. That we honestly from our heart come to God. Why? Because this is is the invitation. This is the invitation that God gives us. This is the invitation that Jesus gives to us. That we would say yes to him. I'm gonna pray a prayer here in a second. If you have never said yes to Jesus, never made Jesus the Lord of your life, this is your opportunity. Again, this is just a starting place of our relationship with God. But everybody needs that. So if you are here, we read about the gospel, the good news story that Jesus lived a sinless life, died on the cross, God raised him from the dead. And because all of that is true, God offers us a relationship with himself. It just comes by grace. It's a gift. All we have to do is say yes. So if you're here today and you have never done that, I invite you to pray along with me. Maybe you're here this morning. Maybe you grew up in church. Maybe it's like, okay, it's Easter. I guess I should go to church. And you maybe don't feel that close to God today. You know, God is not mad at you this morning. God invites you close to himself. Again, you pray with me as well. So church, let's all bow our heads and close our eyes and let's pray this prayer out loud, praying with somebody who might be praying it for the first time or rededicating their life to Christ. God, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you that he lived a sinless life. He died on the cross and you raised him from the dead so I could know you. So today I say yes to that relationship. I truly come to you. I receive your righteousness. God, I call you my father. Jesus, I call you my Lord. God, I purpose to follow after your ways. And I turn from my own. I thank you for salvation today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.